Have you ever found yourself in the kitchen staring into the depths of your fridge after a long day? Or maybe you find yourself in front of the pantry, like eyeing those cookies or crackers and you're having a kind of shouldn't but totally will kind of moment. Or maybe you're sitting there on the couch in disbelief, looking at the bottom of the chip bag or the tub of ice cream. And you're like, I don't even remember this happening. I don't even remember the, the conscious decision to go and have a snack. I know I've certainly been there. So why, oh why, does it feel like our brain takes a vacation in these moments? It's like our brain goes on like this spontaneous holiday, leaving us with a guilty pleasure of the snack in the moment that ends up leaving us with simply just plain guilt later. Have you ever wondered why that happens? Even more importantly, have you ever wondered what to do about it? Well, today we're about to unravel the mysteries of your mind and body. We're going to explore why we turn to food when things go wrong, why your brain does its little Houdini act, how it's not your fault, and we'll discuss how the solution is not about your thoughts at all. So are you ready to ditch the snack time amnesia and unpack some emotions? We're getting ready to dive deep into the pantry of your mind to find those answers. Ready to get to it? Yeah. Do you ever feel like you know all the diet rules about eat this, but not that, and so you know what to do, but you just have a hard time actually doing it? I'm here to tell you, you are not the problem. Hi, I'm Lizzie. Welcome to the Confident Body Podcast, where we talk about all the mental and emotional parts of weight loss that diets don't tell you. It's time to step past the shame and the guilt from old diets and stop feeling like you're waiting to lose weight in order to fully participate in life. If you're ready to drop the diet mindset and learn what it takes to truly feel happy and confident in your own skin, you're in the right place. Let's get started. Well, hello, and thank you for being here. Welcome back. I'm so grateful that you're here. Today, we're going to talk about handling emotional eating, but we're going to handle it in a different way. So I know for myself, I've struggled for some time with like always wanting a glass of wine at night. And why do I have that kind of automatic trigger? I was talking to another client who seems to go for pizza after a long day. It's just like that is when life gets stressful, her brain has just pizza on the mind. And, you know, I used to think that this was about it. Maybe it's just habits. Maybe some of our habits are kind of wrapped up and tangled with some strong emotions like love or comfort or safety. And those things are true. But I recently learned something about the brain and the mind-body connection that gave me a new appreciation for what is really happening in the brain and the body when we're feeling stress, when we're feeling any kind of heightened emotion, and what to do about it. So let's think of it this way. Your body likes to be in homeostasis. That's basically, you know, everything is kind of even keeled. We're all working on on all cylinders. You have full access to your autonomic things like your heart beating and your breathing and your digestion, as well as your thinking brain, making some plans, wanting to lose weight, thinking about what you're going to eat later on today. But when, when we have a heightened emotion or even a lowered emotion, we get off of homeostasis, either above or below. So emotions like worry, anxiety, fear, even excitement can bring us above homeostasis. On the other end, feelings like sadness, grief, depression, apathy, those can bring us below homeostasis. And so 
when we're experiencing those kinds of emotions, the the brain, the, basically the sympathetic nervous system, that's the fight or flight response in the brain, shunts resources, so that's blood, oxygen, things like that, away from non-essential parts of the body and towards the survival parts of the body. So when you're feeling above or below homeostasis, so remember that's like anxiety, fear, worry, depression, you're, you're just not, not on even keel, your blood flow goes to your muscles, goes to your heart and lungs, so you basically preparing you to run away. And it goes away from things that are less essential in the moment, so away from digestion. And also, here's the key, away from your prefrontal cortex where your long-term thinking and decision-making is happening. Let's let that sink in. You literally have less mental resources for long-term decision-making when you're in a fight-or-flight response, when you're feeling worry, anxiety, fear, depression, sadness. And so it's really hard to follow your plan, to choose the salad, to make anything other than an impulsive in the decision moment when you're feeling these heightened emotions because your brain literally does not have access to the long-term planning brain, the part of your brain that says, I want to lose weight. I want to be able to play on the ground with my grandkids. I want to look good in my bikini next year or next month on my vacation. Your brain can't think that far ahead because it doesn't have the, the resources available to it because all that blood flows in your muscles. When I was first learning about this, I, I imagined like, you know, in the movies when there's a, you know, some big machinery that gets shut down and it's like humming along and then you hear it go, that is what I'm imagining is happening in our prefrontal cortex of the, the part of our brain that's making decisions. And so it can make it hard to plan ahead for things. And oftentimes we blame ourselves when that happens. Like, you know, why can't I get it together? You know, even I've, I've not done anything wrong. The brain is just in survival mode. And because this is a survival response, you can make all the plans you want, but it can be very hard to follow them because that more impulsive in the moment part of the brain is what is online. And the planning part of your brain is lagging behind. It barely has a voice in those moments. And so I, I used to think I've learned lots of mind body somatic tools for coaching. And when I first learned them, I was like, those are nice. Those are cute. I like those. But you know, this is life coaching. We're, we're into thinking and uh, addressing our thoughts. And don't get me wrong, addressing your thoughts is really important. But learning this sympathetic, parasympathetic switch that goes on in the body helped me realize that when you're in a, a either elevated or depressed state, in other words, anything other than homeostasis, you cannot thought work your way out of it. You cannot thought work your way out of it. You have to meet your body where it's at. And so if you think about it, our, our, our thoughts create our feelings. So any sort of worry or anxiety, fear starts in our brain, starts in our head, and it travels to the body. I'm sure you felt tension in your body at some point, maybe a heightened you know, you, you know, shortness of breath when you're feeling anxious. You feel that tension in your body. So that is physical evidence of where something that started in your brain and your thoughts has literally traveled to your body. Thoughts are the language of our minds. 
emotions are the language of our bodies. Both matter, but you sometimes you got to deal with them differently. I used to think, you know, you know how there's a Spanish English dictionary where if there's a word in Spanish, you know, what does this mean in English? I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we had like a body brain dictionary? Whatever this feeling I'm feeling in my body, what does this mean? That would be amazing. Uh, as of yet, we don't we don't have one of those. So you have the opportunity to get more familiar with the sensations, with the language of your body, because it is so important. And let me say it again, when you are in that fight or flight state and that anxious worry and fear is in your body, you cannot thought work your way out of it because your brain literally does not have access to that part of your brain. This is one of the really big reasons why diets don't work. I mean, they don't work for lots of reasons. Like number one, they don't tell you how to handle what to do when life doesn't go perfectly. But they really fall down when your brain is above or below homeostasis because your body's fight or flight response limits the ability to make a long-term goal-oriented decision about food. In addition, not to mention, food lights up the dopamine receptors in your brain So the brain knows that when it's looking to seek pleasure and avoid pain, as it does, food is a quick fix. And so it completely makes sense that this happens. So what do we do about it? As I said a minute ago, when our our fear, anxiety, etc., it starts in the brain and it travels to the body. So when you are above or below homeostasis, you can't think your way out of it. You have to meet your body where it's at. You have to start with the body, not the brain. The brain is frequently in the past or the future. We're, we're you know, bringing our past into the present or we're worrying about what's going to happen in the future. But the body is always in the present moment. And there's lots of tools that we can use to acknowledge the body and help it get back to homeostasis. And we're going to talk about those in a moment. But first, let's talk about emotions. As I said a minute ago, emotions are the language of the body, but we resist them because we are so afraid to feel them. It's like our survival brain feels like it is a survival level threat to allow ourselves to feel that emotion. We are so afraid. And I get it. I feel that on a daily basis. I am afraid to feel my emotions. But what if every emotion is here for a reason? Every emotion is like a benevolent messenger here with something to tell you, something important to tell you. And every emotion is trying to help you. It just wants to be heard. Just like anybody who knocks on the door, they just want to be heard. And yet we ignore them, we buffer them, we numb against them, we push them away because we are afraid to feel our emotions. We are afraid to feel these things that have something positive and important to tell us that are trying to help us. And you know what? That's really normal. (laughs) You're just human. We all do it. But here's what happens. If you don't allow yourself to feel your emotions, it's like a pressure cooker. They get stuffed into the body. And if you do that long enough, the body will begin to display symptoms like illness because the emotions have not been allowed to be heard felt, expressed, and processed. It's interesting, random aside that's gonna make sense in a second. 
I have a neighbor who um, has been replanting her uh, front yard planter. And so there's a lot of plants that are in pots that are going to be put into the ground. But bless her heart, she's taken a long time to put those plants into the ground. And so they've been sitting in her driveway in pots for a while. And there's clearly one plant that does not have a hole in the bottom of the pot because it rained recently. And I walked past and this plant had standing water in the top of the pot. And if she lets that sit, the plant will die because it is over flooded with water. And if you think about like the pot needs to have a hole in the bottom so that the water can go through it and nurture the plant, but also allow to be released because if that water just sits there and stagnates, it will rot the roots. And that's a lot what it's like with our emotions in the body. It's almost like our, our bodies are both the plant and the, 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 the pot itself. And if we don't allow the emotions to flow through, if we don't have an outlet, like a hole in the bottom of the pot, they just accumulate and accumulate. And eventually our roots begin to rot because our emotions are not felt, they're held into the body. And so it's so important to allow them to be felt and processed. Okay, so you're with me. You understand that when our bodies are in a fight or flight response, we're anxious, worried, afraid, upset, we can, you cannot think your way out of it. You can't thought work your way out of this thing. You've got to feel it. Okay, this, is, this was the thing that helped me go from like those mind-body tools are cute and nice, but for those woo-woo people, and it helped me shift to like, oh, no, this is a big deal. This is important. You need to address the body first and let that easing of the emotion then travel to the brain versus the other way around. So one quick way, one quick tool you can use, and it is surprisingly effective is simply place your hand on your heart. I like to put skin to skin contact and just take a deep breath and just whew, breathe. That pressure, that gentle pressure of your hand on your heart and that comforting sense can activate the parasympathetic nervous system. So that is the rest and digest part of the brain. So there's a fight or flight is sympathetic rest and digest is the parasympathetic part of the nervous system, which allows that your body to kind of return to homeostasis. We're all back online. We have the resources now to do some of those less urgent, but important things like digestion, like long-term thinking and planning ahead. And so when you place your hand on your heart, that, that activates the parasympathetic nervous system and allows your body to begin to relax and just tell yourself, I am safe and breathe. Say it nice and slow. I am safe. I tend to do this in the car. I, 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 there's probably a reason for it, but for, for whatever reason, I, I notice my anxiety more when I'm driving. And so I just place my hand on my heart when I'm driving and just try and breathe. And it's really helpful. One analogy that's helped me a lot is to think of our bodies like like a, a sweet animal. So for example, uh, our dog, Mrs. O'Leary, um, is a rescue dog. And so we 
we don't know exactly her life before we met her, but you know, she's been a little skittish, super, super sweet, super loyal. But like many dogs, she gets afraid when there are fireworks outside. So 4th of July, not her favorite holiday. And I know that she is completely safe from the fireworks. They are not going to hurt her. But when fireworks are going off outside, she is in the bathroom shaking with fear because she's just afraid. And I cannot rationalize with Mrs. O'Leary and say, honey, you're safe. Don't worry about it. It's fine. That is not going to work. What I need to do is just meet her where she's at and sit with her there on the floor in the bathroom and stroke her and pet her and say, and, you know, speak softly to her and be like, it's okay, honey, you're okay. It's okay. And so in a lot of ways, our bodies are a little bit like animals. They have great instincts and maybe not the most amazing rationalizing skills. And so just like I can't tell Mrs. O'Leary, hey, stop shaking, you're fine. I can't do that to my body either. I have to meet my body where it's at. And that's what putting your hand on your heart is, is like stroking your, your, your dog and just saying, it's okay, sweetie, we're okay. There are lots of ways you can do this and like physically comforting that sweet animal of your body whether it's almost like kind of giving yourself a hug or um, snuggling up in a soft blanket, put your hand on the back of your neck and just, just comfort your body. And again, I, I am the first to tell you, like I thought these ideas were, were sweet and cute and like just nice. And it wasn't until I recognized that when the sympathetic nervous system blocks off our access to our thinking brain, it helped me realize I cannot think my way out of this physical response. I have to meet my body where it's at. And that's when I really began to have a higher respect for these somatic mind-body tools. And it's, I got to tell you, it's making a big difference. It's really helpful. So um, hand on your heart. I am safe. That is one of the tools you can use. Um, if you've ever heard of emotional freedom technique, it's often called tapping. There are meridian points along the body and you can just tap gently. There's top of the head, the eyebrow, um, temple underneath the eye. Um, just look up tapping or EFT online and there's lots of information about it. That basically is kind of a, a outlet for tension. Another thing you can do, and I talked about this in a recent episode of uh, befriending the urge and befriending our feelings, and that takes a little bit more time, but I mean, three minutes, maybe five tops, is just get quiet and try and locate the sensation that you're feeling in your body. So a feeling is sadness, anger, worry, things like that. A sensation is different. It is what is the vibration in my body? So it feels heavy hot, um, solid, uh, tight, things like that. So where is the sensation in your body? Oftentimes I feel it in my chest, sometimes in my shoulders or my stomach. See if you can put some boundaries on it. Does it have a shape or a color? And the reason why you want to put boundaries on it is because you're going to engage it in a dialogue. Just like I said earlier, our feelings just want to be heard. And so this practice of befriending the urge or befriending the feeling is a practice of allowing that feeling to have its say, to tell you what it's here to tell you. Then you can ask, once you get the shape and color, you can ask the feeling a couple of questions. I ask, 
what do you have to say? Now, just a heads up, these first uh, about three questions are kind of warm up questions, because it can be a little weird to like talk to a feeling in your body. Um, and so it, it, it can take some time to like, listen and say, what is this feeling trying to tell me? So the first thing I say is just what do you have to say? And I just open up, no filter, what comes to mind? Uh, a lot of times, th this sounds like kind of a whiny six year old voice in my head. And then I ask, what is your purpose here? Oftentimes, a feeling is here to protect me. Um, sometimes it's just here to be heard. Uh, you know, all kinds of things can come up. And then I ask, what do you need? And some interesting things have come up. Sometimes it's sounds like gibberish. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Uh, but sometimes it says things like I need a friend. I need a hug. I need to rest. Uh, it's really interesting sometimes what the feeling tells me when I ask, what do you need? But those three questions are kind of warm up questions for the really important one, which is, if you could give me a message, what would you want to tell me? And again, sometimes gibberish might come up, but I have found the most profound, beautiful things come up when I ask my feelings this question. It's often things like, I love you so much. You are enough, exactly as you are. Things like that, that just make me want to cry. I'm like, wow, my feelings are so beautiful. I wish I'd been feeling them longer. Um, and yet, you know, five minutes later, I'm afraid to feel my feelings again. So we all go through this. This is very normal for us to resist feeling our feelings. And yet the more you practice this, the more you teach yourself, you are absolutely strong enough to feel your feelings. Um, as your body gets a little bit closer to homeostasis, so you're your kind of your sweet animal is no longer in the bathroom shivering in fright. You're, you're maybe still a little anxious, but you're getting a little closer. You can use some other tools uh, like acceptance and commitment therapy. There's a whole bunch of tools on that. Um, that's basically if you're having an anxious thought, you can say, I'm having the thought that, you know, fill in the blank. Um, I'm worried about my, my son and you know, his future, I'm worried about my son's future. So you just repeat that three times, I'm having the thought that I'm worried about my son's future. I'm having the thought that I'm worried about my son's future. And begin to say it more slowly. I'm having the thought that I'm worried about my son's future. And then you add, I notice I'm having the thought. I'm worried about my son's future. Say that three times and nice and slow. I notice I'm having the thought that I'm worried about my son's future. And as you do this, you begin to separate from the thought a little bit. Uh, what in acceptance and commitment therapy, what they call it when you are sort of really in the thought, they call it fusion. We're fused with the thought. I am the thought. This is completely true and my reality. But the more I say I, I'm having the thought, and then I say, I notice I'm having the thought, we begin to detach from it a little bit. And I like to imagine this is like I'm putting the thought into like a helium balloon. And then it's sort of like floating up, I've still got my hand on the string, but it's floating up away from me a little bit. And I can separate and realize this is just a thought. All thoughts are worth one point. I've been giving it a lot more credit, a lot more weight, but it's just a thought. And thoughts are only true if I choose to believe them. And I have choice and agency over that. 
So that is another tool you can use when you notice that you are uh, kind of off from homeostasis and you, you can bring yourself back down to uh, equilibrium. Okay, so that is basically in a nutshell what I wanted to uh, describe to you today is that sometimes when our we're, we're off of equilibrium because of our feelings, you know, anxiety, worry, what have you, you can't always think your way out of it. And I just wanted to emphasize the importance of bringing your body into the equation. Meet your body where it's at. Treat your body like that sweet rescue pet who is just afraid of the fireworks and you can't, you can't reason with her. You just need to be there and pet her and comfort her. Comfort your body and meet your body where it's at. And that will allow your parasympathetic nervous system to loosen up and allow you to have access to your prefrontal cortex again. And then you can begin thinking about your long-term plans and what are you going to have for dinner and things like that. So ready for our one tiny confident body action step for this week? Here we go. Just once today, place your hand on your heart. Maybe it's while you're driving, maybe during the shower, maybe after a meeting. Place your hand on your heart and breathe. Breathe. Connect. Feel into that parasympathetic nervous system response, calming things down. Just try that one time today. See how that feels. And if you're interested, there is a whole section in my book about how to not eat your feelings. So if you've ever found yourself eating your emotions, like, you know, maybe I have once or twice, then please check out my book. It's called You Are a Miracle, and you can find it on Amazon. And if there's anything in this episode that has helped you, I'd love it if you would write a review on iTunes. That would be amazing. And it might just help somebody else feel a little less alone. And of course, before we go, remember, love yourself. Because your body has wisdom. You have a whole resource of knowledge available to you within your body. Open up to the messages it's sending you. And also open up to the loving, sweet animal of your body and meet her where she's at. Your brain will feel better for it. All right, that's what I've got for you today. I will see you next time. Thank you so much for listening today. Seriously, I know it's not a small thing and I genuinely appreciate it and I hope it helped you. Make sure you head on over to confidentbody.coach slash tips and sign up for my seven top tips for little shifts that create big results so that you can start feeling confident in your body right now. I will see you next week. And until then, remember, you are a miracle.